Welcome everyone to All About Windows Phone Insight Podcast 153 and we're recording this on the 15th of September 2015. I have with me Rafe Blanford. Hello everybody. Yes, another week goes by and this time we've uh, managed to record things in time, although there's a, a lot going on in various lives and quite a bit going on in the Windows Phone world as we'll be covering off quite a few news stories this week. I'm sure we'll find time for the usual uh, back chat and waffle as well though. Yes, and this is uh, after a week of Apple news. This is an Apple-free zone, unless I happen to ask Rafe what he's got in his pocket right now. <laughs> uh, no, I don't have an Apple in my pocket, either device or fruit or anything else. <laughs> uh, but maybe we should actually yeah, think about it a little bit at the end of the podcast, because uh, I th- do think one of the things that's come in is obviously 3D Touch, which was speculated as being actually on a Windows Phone, um, an Illumia device from Nokia a while back. But it does... Um, maybe add an interesting discussion point about kind of inputs and how we interface with our phones. Yes, so maybe we can get Rafe's take on that later on. Uh, First, a few items of news. Uh, Windows 10 Mobile Build 10536 is now available. It went up rather inconveniently for me about midnight, so I was fast (laughs) asleep. But uh, I caught up, and to be fair, the the updates to the seven different smartphones I had here, the cogs were spinning for about four or five hours. Literally, some of the devices took five hours to update, so this is not a quick update. You may want to take your SIM card out and stick it in a different SIM for the morning, otherwise no one will be able to get in touch with you but it's a, a very solid update once once it's all happened it's pretty slick indeed i've got it running on 9 30 8 30 4 3 5 which wasn't possible on previous builds a 6 30 and a couple of others so uh um, it's very very slick um and most things now work as advertised most things are now joined up in the imaging chain in the cortana chain etc et it even works with the microsoft band i've been trying it with that uh, i'm slightly worried by the battery life but then i kind of we're kind of used to a uh, battery drain being a feature of some of these inside builds in previous versions so hopefully they will tap that on the head before the final release um the, the ch- main change log they've they've fixed that some of the big showstoppers from the previous builds two-factor authentication now fixed um you can now go straight to this build from windows phone 8.1 which is a real boon so if anybody gets stuck out there basically they just uh, you know, use the lumia recovery to go back to stock 8.1 and then just go straight up to the latest windows 10 mobile in one jump um You've now got mobile hotspot functionality back. So uh, there's a there's a lot going on here, Rafe. Most of it actually wasn't mentioned in the change log. I even noticed extra things after I'd uh, been using it for a few hours. For example, Cortana and Windows 10 Maps now talk to each other. You can say navigate to Rafe's house or wherever, and uh, it's a Cortana, and it will link in with Windows 10 uh, mobile maps, and it will just all work. Um, also, uh, OneDrive integration with third-party apps now works again. This has been driving me mad. Things like MetroPass and other um, applications which accessed files via the SkyDrive or OneDrive API, they were just broken in the previous build, and they're all now working again. So basically, I'm apart from the battery drain, I'm a very happy bunny. Yeah, it's interesting. This um, feels like a pretty significant update, which isn't a surprise given how long it has been since the last one. Uh, like you see, it's taking a while to install on my device. In fact, it's taking so long, it's still got the spinning uh, cogs for me, so I'm sort of leaving it alone while it does all the necessary bits and pieces. But 
I do want to highlight a, a few things that are being talked about online in the release vlogs and actually in some of the chatter about this release. Um, there's the update for the Photos app, and actually it seems that the uh, system has some enablers that let a new version of the Photo app work. And actually this is one of the difficulties when we talk about new things in this kind of build. Sometimes there's sort of things under the surface or enablers that you then get an app update. So quite how those are connected together. And of course, the app update may work on an older device. And uh, certainly for some of the uh, OneDrive stuff, you know, that's coming back in and also uh, with some of the Cortana integration. But for example, uh, Photos um, has a, a, a update introduces a folder view that makes it easier for you to see your OneDrive and PC folders in the Photos app. You can also see the folders on your SD card, you know. So it's just um, a slightly better way of being able to organize and understand where your photos have come from. Um, there's also some big performance improvements and as well as contact menus for being able to do things. So, and, and then for phones as well, there's improvements in the zooming and the panning. So uh, actually, we talked about photos in a previous podcast of having some updates. This is uh, a much bigger one. Um, I also uh, noted that the one-handed mode um, that got introduced when they made uh, the larger phones, um, that there was some feedback from insiders that people would like to see it on the smaller devices. So interestingly, this build, I understand, enables that ability on all phones, uh, which I think is great for people with uh, smaller hands. Because certainly I've noticed even on something like the 830, there are times when I'm using it one-handed where it's just a little bit fiddly. Um, and I think actually it becomes more important in windows 10 mobile which i would argue doesn't do as good a job as windows phone 8.1 did at keeping most of their actions at the bottom half of the screen some of that's a trade-off for kind of getting um, a commonality with desktop windows but some of it is perhaps some poor design decision or maybe i'm just not used to it it does feel that it doesn't feel quite as fluent as windows phone 8 in that respect but uh, i think part of that may be the, the familiarity principle um, at work uh, but nonetheless as you say some uh, pretty significant updates in this as well and no doubt we'll spot um, more over the next few days and you say Steve you've really talked about things like Microsoft Band and some of the other bits and pieces um, I suspect we've still got an update or two to come before the actual release version but uh, I guess that's a slinky way of linking to some news around the expected announcement of the brand new devices Steve Yes, October the 6th is the date. I, th I believe it's somewhere in New York. I, I haven't actually inquired as to which venue because I don't know anyone's going to invite me, but uh, there will be a live stream and we put the URL in the news story on the site. Um, what's expected? Well, of, there is a Surface Pro 4 and I know you're a big Surface Pro user, so I guess that's of interest to you. Um, and there's certainly been about 18 months since, since the previous Surface Pro device, um, plus the Lumia 950 and Lumia 950 XL, which have been widely leaked rumoured, alleged, reported on, and we've even mentioned it a few times as well. So that's pretty well known. And um, we'll probably do a what to expect, a little roundup a week or so before the event. Um, maybe, a, maybe a mid-range or low-end phone. We'll come to that in a moment because I've got some thoughts uh, on an editorial based around some quotes from um, Satya Nadella and a couple of others. But uh, yeah, there's certainly the two Lumia flagships are pretty much a shoe-in, Rafe, for October the 6th now. Yeah, that seems likely. I mean, there's also been talk of the second version of the Microsoft Band, but I think it will, the most attention will be on the kind of the new Surface uh, convertible and on the phones. And these have been kind of previewed for a long time. I think we started talking about them, well, probably this time last year is something that would happen and then certainly in a bit more detail towards the beginning of the year. And they're obviously going to be very important for Microsoft because in some ways they're the first big flagships um right at the top end since Microsoft acquired the Nokia devices and services division. Uh, it 
and could be said to be sort of more wholly Microsoft than the devices have gone before, because obviously that bit more time has gone past. And certainly they're the first devices to emerge post kind of the the, the change in strategy direction that was announced recently by, by Microsoft and Satya Nadella as the CEO. Obviously the devices would have been in development before then, but they're kind of a, an expression of that in some ways. Um, and, you know, obviously a return after quite a considerable gap, if you think about the timing of the 932, what would be considered a true flagship in terms of the naming if the 94950 or the Excel version numbering scheme is to be believed. And certainly that seems to be the case um, in, in terms of the way it's being positioned. Um, it's probably worth saying that although October the 6th is when they'll be announced, uh, it's probably going to be a little while before they come onto the market. I mean, in the past, Microsoft has uh, tried to do this within, a, you know, between a two and a four week time frame. And I think that will probably be true again. Whether that applies to all markets, I, I don't know. But I think it would be safe to sort of look at, uh, you know, around the beginning of November, certainly for some of the big markets like the US, the UK, uh, maybe China as well, and some of the other big European markets. Uh, that's interesting just because it then gives us a bit of a sense of timing about when the updates might be available for the existing devices. Typically, they've been a, a couple of months behind uh, the kind of the release of the the new device for the new version of the platform. Um, if you look back to you know, the 930 actually kind of being an example of that and, and pre previous devices, it's kind of a two-month gap, which would put a January the 1st window in there which actually is pretty much what we were talking about a couple of podcasts ago, Steve. So I think there'll be a lot of excitement around October the 6th for fans of Windows devices. And actually there's been some, Microsoft has been communicating about how you know it's building devices for those people. It's obviously a marked contrast to trying to cover every part of the market. I mean, I think uh, we're probably going to talk about this in a little while, but it's easy to kind of see a bit of mixed messaging from Microsoft about how they talk around these devices, you know, that they are going to be available through the typical channels. You know, you'll get them in the Microsoft store, sure, but um, certainly would expect a lot of the operators to pick them up as high-end devices. And there's quite a bit of momentum now behind Windows 10, thanks to the desktop launch, quite a lot of excitement about it. I do wonder whether Microsoft in its own way will almost pay more attention to the Surface 4 Pro, if indeed that's what it's called, as kind of the pure Microsoft device. And certainly, you know, when I've talked to some of the Microsoft people from the traditional side of the business, and I should probably clarify what I mean by that, the non-Nokia uh, bits um, I, outside kind of the phone space, they've always been more interested in that because, of course, it's, it's more reflecting Microsoft roots. But it always struck me as slightly strange given that, Actually, the Lumia devices are sold in much greater numbers than the Surface device. And of course, that's what you'd expect given the respective size of the product categories. But it's just a, a thought that perhaps Microsoft needs to, you know, make sure it's, you know, fully energized in amongst its internal people and some of its key partners around the, the Lumia devices. I guess this is always going to be a tricky conversation because of Windows Phone and now Windows 10 Mobile's place as kind of the, the third ecosystem, especially now as Microsoft itself has put it, it's kind of retrenched from the position that Nokia was in, in trying to address all parts of the smartphone market. Nonetheless, you know, it's kind of a big day and you know, announcement day of new devices is always going to attract a lot of attention. But uh, Steve, I mean, you mentioned a mid-tier device there. 
difficult to know that will happen, but we're pretty much absolutely certain that we're going to see something around the five inch mark, kind of a 950, and then maybe a 5.7 inch device, 950XL, both of which will be running kind of um, a high end Snapdragon 800 something processor with plenty of RAM um, and probably, you know, memory card expansion, things like wireless charging and, you know, high quality components, you know, a good camera. Do you think there's going to be any surprises in there at all? Um, well, the the big one I'm expecting is that I'm eager to see what they've done with this triple LED flash. I know I keep going on about imaging, but that's, that's one of the few unknowns, really, because most of the other specifications are now thoroughly leaked, and we've reported them in numerous stories. But there's still this mysterious thing. We've never yet seen a single smartphone ever, as far as I know, with a triple LED flash. So uh, are they all going to be the same? Will it be like a, tri- a triple-tone flash, Apple-style, with different color temperatures? Who knows? Yeah. Uh, I'm, sh- I'm sure details also things like battery capacities and the exact materials used. There are still variables, and of course, we'll be eagerly watching that live stream. But I think most of the specs and stats are now known, Rafe. Indeed, I mean we've seen the kind of the leaks of the device renders, which we're pretty sure are accurate. And like you mentioned, there's that three LED flash. I suspect this might be around having variable power on it, potentially also with um, some different tones as well. The other thing that's kind of worth mentioning is it looks like there's going to be something akin to Irish recognition in order to kind of do the Windows hello feature. That's obviously being able to unlock the device without having to put in a a pin code or anything like that. And sort of that's broadly equivalent to kind of touch ID or the fingerprint sensors you get on other phones. So it's going to be really interesting to see how that works. I think the other thing to bear in mind is much like the 930, I think this is going to be a much more voice centric and uh, Cortana centric device than we've we've seen before and so it will almost certainly have that always on voice capability which the 930 does have but you know not always very much has been made of that and i'm not sure how much that was designed in from the beginning i expect actually kind of voice control to feature quite heavily in the promotion of these devices and the ability to use cortana kind of almost as the command line and we've been talking cortana up recently and sort of saying it can do more and more things and certainly if you're in one of the markets where cortana support is extensive which really translates as the us and the uk at the moment actually it is pretty impressive and that ability to do things hands-free like effectively you would say hey cortana what's the weather going to be like tomorrow and get a you know, uh, audio answer back. And then, of course, if you're looking at the volume, you'll also get sort of uh, those quick answers that Cortana provides and then potentially into a web page and things like that. So what we don't really understand yet is quite how Microsoft is going to position these devices. I mean, clearly they're talking about them being premium flagships and we kind of understand the hardware quite well. But, you know, every time these devices get announced, they tend to get talked about in a certain way or there's certain language about it or some features are uh, kind of put in front of others. My personal bet is, you know, I do think there'll be a voice stuff this time around, but I think what will really be stressed is the continuity with Windows 10 and um, obviously Continuum will come into it there as well. But I think that kind of idea of it's the perfect phone for a Windows person will be something that comes up again. And it's not like we haven't had that before, but it feels to me like that will be front and centre and be, you know, this is the reason you buy the phone. But we'll kind of have to watch this space. We will, of course, be reporting on it in full as it happens. Yeah, you mentioned the word retrenching just now, and that also links into what you've just been talking about, because that was a direct quote from, I've got the chap's name now, Chris Capasella, the chief marketing officer at Microsoft, who was interviewed a few days ago. Um, and we put the quotes in an article up on the site at the moment. Uh, essentially, it's kind of amplifying what Satya Nadella said about a month or so ago. And emphasis, I'll, just, I'll just quote a bit from Satya, actually, because this is the most concise for the podcast. He says, we'll bring business customers the best management, security, and productivity experience 
productivity experiences they need, value phone buyers, the communication services they want, and Windows fans, the flagship devices they'll love. Now, at the time, I thought, hang on a minute, only one of those is actually devices. Two of the others are just services and software. And I, I thought, well, surely there'll still be budget smartphones. Surely there'll still be mid-tier smartphones. And then the pennies starting to drop. And with the, we've seen these low-cost Windows 10 mobile devices announced from the likes of Acer and uh, Yes and a whole host of other OEMs around the world. And it, given the amount of Android competition down in that 100 £150 uh, sort of high-budget, low-mid-tier space really terrific phone it just makes absolutely no sense really for microsoft to be playing in that market there's just there's no wiggle room for profit there so it absolutely makes sense to interpret those statements from satya dandela and also from chris capicella who kind of amplified them into thinking well hang on a minute as you as you just said we're going to make premium devices that will absolutely match your surface pro 3 your surface pro 4 and windows 10 desktop it'll be a premium device that you'll be beautiful wonderful you'll want to own it because it's the mat- it matches the rest of your experience and that does tie in with the 950 and 950 xl and my my postulation in my editorial today was will there actually be any other devices will microsoft simply retreat retrench if you like to that higher end and i I'll, i've got a ps which i'll add after you've just had your say <laughs> it's a, an interesting one this i mean I, I do feel that when you're reading these kind of comments and quotes you are doing a bit of tea leaf reading and that can always be misinterpreted and inaccurate because the nature of these things is to not actually give all that much away. They're kind of just sort of fairly bland statements that give Microsoft plenty of wiggle room. Um, <laughs> what it is fair to say is it was clear that Microsoft was announcing that it was going to cut the number of models it was going to kind of announce and launch and take to the market. That sort of became clear when some of the devices we kind of heard whispers of have uh, effectively been cancelled. And I think that applied to the uh, 730 and the 830, or sorry, the 840 and the 740. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but there's actually then been whispers that some of them might be coming back again. And honestly, I suspect that will apply more to the next generation. So whether that's the, you know, the 960, the 80, or whatever, however the numbering goes, because a lot of those devices would have already been in development before this change happened. And certainly, uh, no doubt, some of them will get canned. But you know, the, the ability to bring those to the market, a lot of the development would have already been done. And it then became about, you know, do you want to support them as a sales organization? Um, so part of me feels that those comments were as much about, you know, a little bit further ahead. Uh, nonetheless, I can absolutely see the reasoning of your argument here. Um, I would actually put it the other way, though, myself and say, you know, the low end is where Windows has been successful in the phone space. And so it makes sense to try and continue that there. Um, what we don't really know and is difficult to kind of interpret is you know, how much does it cost Microsoft to launch a new device or a new model? And I think what will happen here is we'll see, um, we will see something at kind of the low end. We will see something in the mid tier and we will see something at the high end, but we won't necessarily see a complete continuum of one going onto another one, onto another one with sometimes, you know, just a 10 or 20 pound price gap. I think there will be starker divisions between the different types of devices. And I don't expect to see five or six different variants of the same device as we kind of saw at the low end, you know, ranging from something like the 430 up to the 535. I would expect that to be replaced by you know, kind of a single class of device. Um, and there might be a dual SIM variant and there may be the occasional kind of variant based on the different radios or operator demand. But essentially there would be, you know, a 540, um, a maybe a 640 
then would there be an 840 and 940 visible to tell? But sort of three or four class of devices rather than everything in between. And so, you know, I would take the opposite view to you. I think that will still happen. Um, but it's easy to see why these things get interpreted. And you do have to just have some caution when reading these comments, because, of course, they may be answering a question that's slightly different to the one posed because they're doing it off briefing notes. I mean, what what people you know, may not be aware of is whenever someone's speaking to the press, particularly in a, a question and answer session rather than a statement, um, they will generally be talking from a set of briefing points about things they can and can't say. And so sometimes the answer kind of gets shaped to the question they want to answer rather than the one that's actually been asked. Uh, it's very unusual to ask about a specific unannounced device to get anything other than a bland, you know, no comment or um, not communicating about it at this time. And then you sort of try and ask a more generic question that will give you a bit of information and you'll you'll typically get a, a kind of a canned response. Sometimes you can get a more interesting answer out and sometimes it's such a case of asking the right question to get the right beat, bit of the briefing. I've, you know, I've sat in interviews where I've asked a relatively innocuous question and actually got something that's kind of quite interesting about the thinking behind a device or you know, it, it's sometimes useful, for example, when you're talking to a project manager, you ask what their favourite feature is and you know they'll typically talk about something they're particularly interested in, you know, illuminate some of the thinking behind the device. And so in this kind of context, I'm just a little bit wary of reading too much into it. Um, and I think potentially it's also fair to say that the decisions about how widespread things will be um, haven't necessarily been fully made. I mean, for this generation, they probably will have been, but for the next generation of devices, um, probably not. But what is undoubted is that this sort of next launch is going to focus on the premium high-end devices. Microsoft very much feels the need to have something in that space in the market so that it can see what the reaction is. And also, as it puts it, you know, so people who are fans of the Microsoft devices have a device that they, they think is best in class or is positioned as such to go out and buy. You know, there'll never be quite as much excitement around the mid-tier or the low-end devices um, despite me saying, uh, I think for many years, actually it's the mid-tier devices that often represent the best value for money, uh, but the market doesn't, consumers certainly don't always behave in a rational way. And of course, the low end has always been attractive because, you know, basically a lot of people want a cheap device and get something interesting and it sells in the big numbers. And so the economies of scale start to come in. So, uh, I mean, I do agree with Steve, they, they won't be competing with the lowest cost Android devices. But I would be very, very surprised if there's, you know, nothing there to replace, you know, the 530, 535 line. Yeah. And that links in perfectly with my PS, which has, and no sooner did I'd written this editorial, I looked around the web and I found that site winfuture.de in Germany has unearthed information on a, a leaked Lumia 550, which is a Snapdragon 210 powered device. So it, it, presumably, as, as you say, a successor to the 535, I think that sort of form factor and that sort of power and somewhere around the sort of 60, 70, 80 pound um, mark in the UK, certainly on pairs you go. Um, I would be surprised if they launched that at the same time as this New York event. I think that might muddy the message, as you say. I think the New York event will be the two top-end flagships. And I think then we'll see a soft or a quiet launch of the 550 about a month later, certainly about a month before Christmas. Um, I would expect may, there might even be a 750 or a 650. I would expect those perhaps to be launched um, perhaps uh, in time for MWC in February 2016. 
Uh, I just don't think Microsoft's heart is in, as you say, filling out that continuum at the moment. So I'm, I think the 950 and the 950XL certainly will be where most of the, uh, the listeners to this podcast and the, the readers of AAWP will be most interested. And, and rightly so. They look like cracking devices. And my 930 is uh, sitting on the, on, on the side of the desk beside me now, about to be replaced, I guess, in about a month or so's time. Yeah, well, we'll have to wait and see on that one. But yeah, just to kind of drive home that point. No, I don't expect them to be announced at this uh, October event. Whether it happens before Christmas or whether it happens at MWC, we'll kind of have to wait and see. I don't think Microsoft will want to leave it too long because there's this idea of, you know, built for Windows 10 mobile in these devices. Um, I think the other thing to kind of point out here, and certainly the uh, leaked information about the 550 would bear this out, that I suspect Microsoft will kind of raise the bar a little bit on those low-end devices. So, Things like the 435 may, wait, may well drop away. The ones that, you know, they kind of cut everything out of to get get the price down. And it may just be that little bit extra. So, yeah, I think the comparison to the 535 is very apt. And just having the extra things like, you know, having eight gigabytes of memory, having LTE support, maybe a slightly better screen, things like that. And, of course, this does play into the fact that, of course, the specification for what's expected of a low-end device is kind of rising all the time. And uh, I suspect Microsoft may kind of choose the opportunity to, if you like, only go for the upper end of the low end, if that kind of <laughs> makes any sense at all. And as you say, yes, you know, this will come a little bit later to the market because, you know, in the meantime, actually, the 530, the 535, you know, can continue to sell into that market where there's probably less concern about exactly what version of uh, Windows it's running. I, I suspect a lot of people buying those devices don't care a tremendous amount about the platform that it's running on. You know, there'll be some concern, of course, it does run Windows 10 Mobile, but if it doesn't have every feature, isn't quite fully optimised, there'll you know be less of a problem there than if you were trying to do that for a high-end device. And, you know, it always makes sense, really, to my mind, to have you know your high-end device um, you know launched at the same time as a new version of your platform because those are going to be the consumers that are most concerned with that kind of thing. The other thing, of course, to say about all these rumours and things like that is there's no guarantee that just because they've been in development that they'll actually get announced and go out to the market, um, particularly in you know, kind of the recent years. There's actually been quite a few devices that have never made it out to the market that we've heard about in some detail. You know, There was effectively what was a successor to the, the 1020 in some ways didn't make it, and that was one that kind of had this idea of 3D or sort of kind of holographic touch, this idea that your finger above the screen and you know, whereabouts it was might have an extra input mechanism, which is kind of interesting given that uh, Apple's recently announced 3D Touch. That was what I was alluding to earlier. So just to say, you know, with all of these rumoured devices, until they're actually announced, we can't be 100% sure that they're going to come to the market. I mean, we talk to some of our sources all the time and yeah, we're pretty confident about the device we've been talking about earlier. I mean, it would be a massive surprise if something happened there. They're all but in the shops at this point in time. Um, but some of the devices in between, yeah, you know, kind of were less clear on. Um, and I, you know, I start talking about it and go, oh yes, we'll get the 550 and we'll get a, a mid-tier device. And I think it'll probably be a 600. The one that sort of has been in question has been that seven and 800 series and um, which I've honestly heard uh, conflicting information on. The latest is that we should be seeing an 800 series, but I wouldn't be surprised if that changes. And, you know, it, it's kind of interesting because Microsoft has made it clear in the various statements, including the one you talked about, Steve, that they are retrenching. But when you start hearing about that, you're going to go, well, there's going to be a five, a six, an eight, and a nine. That's actually pretty full list of devices. So as I said, it does come back for me to this idea that there'll be fewer variants and perhaps a little bit 
more time before and between them getting announced. So we might go yeah. to a, a kind of this yearly schedule of updated devices and you suddenly go, okay, that actually makes more sense if we've got a five, a six, an eight and a nine. That's actually four devices. And if they were updated once a year, that would be significantly less than we've had before. You know, it'll be probably going from, I guess we've had as many as eight or nine devices. You know, mm. halving that, that is a very significant retreat. Um, but I wouldn't be all that surprised if it ends up getting reduced down to something like a five or six and something nine at the high end. And of course, there is this um, thing about, are we going to have the two different sizes of device? And does that count as two different devices or one? And, you know, that kind of confuses matters a little bit. Um, I mean, it, it feels, you know, for people who have been following Windows Phone for a long time, actually getting both a, a 950 and 950XL feels like we're getting a pretty good bang for our buck uh, because it's not often that we've had two high-end devices announced at the same time. Typically, it's been a 9 and an 8 series. So uh, actually, in, in terms of the premium end of things, it almost feels like it's um, bonus time. And you're getting a, a bit of extra cream on your cake. <laughs> I think part of the preponderance of models released over the last 18 months has been this 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 message about the minimum resource requirements for Windows 10 Mobile, which everyone was knew was coming. And I think there were a, there were a couple of devices at which the 530 stands supremely in the dunces corner, which simply did not have enough of anything really. And they they just as the Nokia did back in the good old days of the N97 back oh, six seven eight years ago now. Um, goodness, long <laughs> long time. Um, simply a device which doesn't have enough resources to do the job in hand um, and with Windows 10 Mobile actually which runs very very well on the Lumia 435 put it in front of me and I'm amazed at how slick it is on a device that is so lowly specced but it does need that full gigabyte of RAM to, to really work well and it does need that 8 gigabyte internal so uh, I think once Microsoft got that message and we started seeing that with devices like the 535, 435 these 640, 640XL we've now got a really solid base of low cost and mid tier and handsets and upwards all of which are very capable of running this new os so i think things are a much healthier situation now in terms of the sort of the installed base and the number of people who can upgrade successfully to windows 10 mobile indeed although i, I will say that the 950 and the 950 xl uh, confused me when i think about them because actually there was a, a nokia 950 before which was one of the developer devices uh, for Migo, a kind of a predecessor of the N9, which then, of course, uh, bred the fabulous design language that we saw in the Lumia 800 and many of those subsequent devices. So it kind of makes me smile a little bit that the 950 and the 950XL kind of continue that fabulous design language or that kind of series of design with heavy use of polycarbonate uh, shells and kind of that one-piece feel to them. And actually, you know, you can trace their ancestry back to the N9 and just before that was the 950, which was actually kind of a... It was a sliding, it's not quite a clamshell, but a sliding keyboard device with a full QWERTY keyboard. Obviously, we're not going to get anything like that. But just a reminder that kind of uh, keeping track of all these numbers and names can be a little bit confusing. <laughs> uh, just very briefly, I did put up uh, one of my famous flowcharts, uh, rather amateurish, but the, nevertheless, they are famous up on the site a couple of days ago, looking at the improved imaging workflow at Windows 10 Mobile. And I know we keep bigging up the new OS, but uh, this is a pretty, very good example of how things have been improved. We had um, Windows Phone um, 8, we had 8.1. We've had this transition from Nokia to Microsoft, and we've had all sorts of schemes come and go. So we've had um, Lumia Camera, then we've had Photos, then we had Lumia Storyteller, Lumia Creative Studio, and 
and so forth, and numerous editors and systems and add-ons, and it all got horrifically, com horrifically confusing, as people can see, if they look at my flowchart. And, and the flowchart looks a mess because the whole scheme was a mess. It was things bolted on top of other things that were bolted on other top of other things. And with Windows 10 Mobile, with one t imaging team in, under one company, at last things have been streamlined. And basically, um, rather than have to hop backwards and forth between camera and its own internal viewer and its own internal reframer and window and, and a photos application and then editors um you know you the photo the camera application simply takes the photos it then spawns off to the photos app if it needs to do any editing or any processing or any viewing of past photos the photos application then spawns off to the editor needed and goes come straight back there's even now a photos add-in um mechanism uh, an architecture whereby they for example they've released the a reworking of a uh, lumia moments where you called um choose best picture uh, which is which i guess makes sense so there's a clear architecture there for building stuff into the side of uh, windows 10 mobile photos in a very streamlined fashion so all of a sudden you've got bang 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 and it's very clear what's happening to you, where your image is going where your workflow is going and you don't get having to do save as copy all the time and wonder about going from application to b to c then spawning back to d and you've got and so on it just gets a mess but it's much much simpler now yeah, it's good to see that this is actually coming along. I mean, we've talked in the past about how confusing it gets with all these multiple versions of the the different apps. And I don't think uh, you know, it, there's any perfect system for this. Um, but I think part of the problem was the separation between kind of the official camera app and then the various Lumia equivalents. And then new bits were added almost piecemeal as new cameras or new apps were released. And when I say new cameras, I should have said uh, new devices. And so, you know, rich capture kind of being an example of that, then trying to get into the editing flow for that. It just all felt a little bit much. And so what seems to be happening is a lot of this is being consolidated, probably a bit confusing for existing users as some of the names and stuff go away. But ultimately, what you should be doing is kind of having the photo and all the relevant information that's necessary captured. You get that photo in the photos app, you do the, uh, you know, the edit and things like that. So, you know, it's best lighting i have to admit i kind of prefer the prefer the rich capture name it kind of is more evocative of, of what it does <laughs> um but then you know the photos uh adding you know the kind of choose best picture actual shot rather than moments kind of actually is a bit more descriptive of what it does so that kind of uh phrase phraseology that terminology the way it gets talked about you know which is just semantics after all um goes in both directions and i, I really do like the idea that you know uh you can then you know, get into the appropriate thing. It, it still, to me, feels like there's going to be a few too many options when you get to the edit stage. And can you improve on that? Could you consolidate it all into one thing? I think ultimately probably not because uh, Office Lens does a, a different thing to kind of Lumia Creative Studio. And you then have to think about the prioritization of the tasks because a lot of the time you're just looking to do one quick thing and you know, for a lot of people just doing a crop and rotate is all they'll ever do on editing a photo if your name is steve litchfield you're probably interested in doing kind of more advanced editing um but uh, uh, you know, it's interesting one of the comments that came up in the the thread of this uh, article was you know, how much people like doing on the phone and it always used to be you used to say oh i'll get my uh, photos off my phone and then do things elsewhere to them Actually, I'm trying to struggle to remember the last time I took my uh, photos off my phone to do anything other than kind of send them off to a, an online print surface. And yeah. that was just because it was actually too fiddly to upload 100 photos from my phone. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, all the things like doing a bit of editing, a bit of adjustment of the rich capture and the HDR stuff, you know, that was all done on my phone. And it's actually a testament to the quality of the pictures coming out. 
and then the ability to just you know with a touch screen to do a quick crop so which is effectively kind of the reframing that we talk about um, in the past it, actually that the power of that imaging flow really is quite remarkable and you know it does do a lot more than you ever used to do with digital cameras which was always about you know you take the photo and you're getting them off there as soon as possible you might look at a few of the shots you'd review them on your camera but it does does it's interesting to me because it actually changes the way that you know you deal with photos and of course that also comes into the whole sharing thing now i share photos far more than i ever used to um, partly because you know everything is much easier on the phone and you know the speeds and the data have all increased but and when i, I talk about use i'm sort of talking about the five to ten year time cycles and the, the switch from you know using my camera phone as kind of the one i always had with me but i still had a digital camera and it's very very rare now for me to use a standalone digital camera it's only when i'm doing dslr stuff that you know it comes for and even then i often find you know i i will be taking pictures on my smartphone as well and they come out just well or capture that right bit of moment or just get the settings better it's probably uh, more of a commentary on how bad i am at taking photos with with a dslr which you do have to work at to get all the kind of yeah, the right yeah. right settings uh, but it comes back to what we said before it's that ability to pick up and use uh, the camera phone just with you know one button and get quite frankly astonishing results um, and that kind of does extend into the the imaging workflow as well steve yeah no, absolutely we have a, a couple of things i want to mention and then we're going to run long rate but i've got as ever i've got a cunning plan uh, next tuesday i'm actually going to be a uh, 200 miles away so uh, what we're going to try and do is perhaps aim for a thursday recording next week and give people a nine day podcast window to listen to this so we'll give them a few extra excellent. minutes if that's okay with you excellent <laughs> uh, we wanted to, you mentioned uh, 3d touch or force touch as it's been known in the huawei world um, uh, elsewhere in the Android system, uh, as a new way of interacting. Well, you saw this in the Apple keynote about a week or so ago, and uh, it got me thinking, and I wrote a long editorial, which was rather controversial, but uh, I was basically pointing out that, yes, it all seemed rather wonderful in the demos, and I'm sure it's nice high-tech, and I'm sure it'll ripple down to other phones and operating systems in due course, but in actual fact, you can do an awful lot in a touchscreen um, smartphone operating system and interface with long pressing, for example, we're used to touching a spot on an interface. If you then long pressed it, as you see in multiple places, and I gave quite a few examples, in Windows 10 Mobile, you long press and you can do it pops up the common actions for that item, which is exactly what you want. It's as if you right clicked in a desktop operating system, for example, it gives you the, op the options that are available for that item, for that element, for that icon or whatever. We've seen, in fact, we've actually seen long press in operation since the days of Windows Phone 8 when it first came along, and maybe even Windows Phone 7, I can't remember that far back. But my point is, there's actually no physical show-stopping reason why you couldn't implement an awful lot of what Apple was showing off with simply um, long pressing on a spot using a, a very much, much, much cheaper capacitive touchscreen. The, um, the weight... And the cost of this 3D touch system Apple has implemented has, has meant uh, adds an extra 20 grams to every iPhone. 20 grams. That's a huge increase. And of course, it, might, it has to have a, a big increase in the bill of materials as well. So um, my contention was not to poo-poo Apple's achievements in sort of mainstreaming this new technology. It was to say that actually it's a bit of a sledgehammer to crack a nut, which you could kind of, you could just chip away at very successfully with a solution that's 100 times cheaper and 20 grams lighter. It's an interesting one, this because I have to caveat this with the fact that I haven't actually tried out um, the iPhone 6S or the 3D Touch stuff. I've seen it; the kind of similar, and effectively, it's a pressure implementation on kind of concept and on some uh, production devices. I think 
there is a twin thing here. It is about the hardware implementation. I expect Apple to have real nail really got that right, just as they kind of made the kind of the vibrate function on the Apple Watch and on, actually on the new iPhone as well, much better than the kind of equivalent on other devices. So I think actually it depends how well it's implemented and certainly force touch as we've seen it on the Apple Watch is you know, quite effective and certainly it's more user friendly, I think would be the word I'd use than the equivalent of doing a, a long press. But you, you are absolutely right to say none of this is um, sort of you know, completely new. This idea of a long press to get a context menu, you know, we've actually seen that in a couple of places. Um, the idea that you then kind of keep on pressing to get something else, you don't see that all that often. Uh, and I do think the idea of having different levels of pressure kind of make more sense and it feels more intuitive. So I actually think, you know, perhaps um, saying it's just like having a long touch is probably missing the point a little bit. Um, but, you know, the thing that kind of worries me on this and not so much a big concern as in, oh, it's not all going to go horribly wrong. I just wonder whether most people are going to kind of understand that this is an extra interaction mechanism that you can have. I mean, it took a lot of people a long time to learn how to use pinch to zoom and those kind of gestures. And a lot of people still aren't that familiar with them or you see them struggling with them on the on the screen and i'm not suggesting everyone's idiots but you know just going to have a look at the evidence out there and think about it um i don't think it's totally intuitive it, it is a learned behavior where something kind of touch is something that makes a lot of sense and it's actually something you use in the real world you know like moving a piece of paper around with your finger is something you learn very early on before you can get maybe a, a touch screen device but in most instances this idea of a a long press or indeed a pressure touch kind of taking you into another action isn't something that really works in the real world you know if you press harder on something in most cases nothing happens or you might leave a bit more of an impression <laughs> behind Indeed. and so I, I mean i'm thinking about actually interacting with a bit of paper or something you know you learn to push around with your fingers and actually you know obviously the same applies to kind of the um pinch to zoom although that's kind of equivalent of bringing it nearer and further away from you so perhaps yeah. that yeah. so all i'm saying is there is i think more to the, the meeting you actually have to think about this and actually to to me it, it felt like some of the things that they were doing with it weren't particularly you know groundbreaking or necessarily all that useful you know being able to get a kind of context menu on the app launcher does that save some time yeah potentially it does but the sort of thought of, oh i need to do that kind of uh, 3d touch in order to make that happen or you can just hit it and hit the thing in the application i think sometimes trying to reduce down the number of touches or reduce the number of interactions is always the be all and end all of you know creating great ux so I, i'm i'm very much in two minds about it so i'm very keen to try this out and you know being apple you know they would have thought very long and hard about this and they'd have made it as polished as possible but, you know, I think about where there's already long touch in something like Windows Phone. Some of this applies to Android as well. Like on the keyboard, when you can hold down your finger on a letter to kind of get the alternative versions of that letter with ligatures and things like that on it, or on punctuation. If you hold down full stop, you can bring up other punctuation or numbers and things like that. And there are certain kind of context-sensitive menus in some of the built-in apps i think uh if you touch on i think it's something like albums and music you can actually have it um kind of pinned played you can add it to a player stuff like that so uh, and those don't appear to be you know major things that people use all the time so it's going to be really interesting to see how this works i think the fact that apple would have thought carefully about it and probably really refined the hardware experience and so it feels distinct from a normal touch may well be the thing that makes a difference uh, but we'll revisit this topic once we've you know, both had a chance to try out 
3D touch on a on an actual device. I am a big fan of trying to increase the number of ways you can interact with your device. And obviously, you know, touch in many ways is actually, you know, very limited, especially when you compare it to a stylus. So it's kind of interesting to hear the iPad Pro and the Apple Pencil get announced and precisely because of the extra options that are added. And, you know, actually the same applies when you're using a pen on a Surface Pro device. And you know, for the same reason, that's why voice has kind of got me interested because it adds another input mechanism. And, you know, in some ways in moving to touchscreens and slabs of glass, we dumbed down the kind of input that you could have on your smartphones. I mean, it was very intuitive. It was very easy to use. You know, finger touch is very powerful in terms of making things just, you know, easy to follow through and you kind of, kind of stroke and caress your phone and, go through different apps but uh, as i always say it's always interesting to see what comes next what actually ends up sticking remains to be seen like you say i mean pretty big bet on apple's path and yeah that is a significant weight increase and one assumes there may well be a few other compromises that we haven't necessarily foreseen yet of doing things like that it's not hard to you know foresee this not being implemented or done properly by third-party applications if they choose to hide away a bit of functionality or a feature behind 3D Touch, they may mean that a significant portion of their user base who doesn't use 3D Touch or just doesn't work it out doesn't get at that feature. So it, it certainly makes the job harder for people doing UX design and for you know developers of applications. One more thing you need to think about. And of course, that's also an opportunity. And don't get me wrong, I'm really interested to see how people do more. I mean, Apple demoed it in Mail for kind of doing... Um, the peak and then you know seeing kind of a preview of message and then opening it up and the same for for photos it feels to me like there's potential to do quite a bit more and i think in gaming it'll be really interesting to see how that gets used we had the demo in the keynote of kind of zooming in for a shoot 'em up gig but it kind of feels to me that it, it's made for puzzle games and some, some kind of discovery mechanism so wait and see on that one i'm certainly keen to try it out it does feel to me it's like one of the most significant hardware additions to the iPhone in the last few years. You know, last year it was all about kind of having two sizes and then you know, we had Touch ID come in. But yeah, to me, this this feels like a, a much more interesting development. Yeah, bar humbug. It'll all go the same <laughs> way as Sam. Sam. Do you remember Samsung and Airview where you hover your finger over the screen and it did different various peak, peak things to according to how, how many millimetres your finger was from the touchscreen. And then as you get closer, it does other things. And it, it never took off. Everybody hated it. And I think Samsung have now removed it. So I, I'm sorry. That th- I just think that uh, this, this new 3D touch is, is a technology that really does have to prove itself. And I'm a, t- a tiny bit sceptical. But uh, yeah. Uh, do go and read the comments on the story, though, because there's lots of other people have chipped in with the contrary views. I think most of them back up your view, Rafe, and everybody agrees we really have to try this in real life before we really judge it. Now, we did trail at the end of last week's podcast that we we're going to come back to voice assistants and Cortana versus BlackBerry Assistant versus Google now versus Siri. Uh, very interesting results in the updated feature, but uh, there's no real-time sensitivity. And we're, as we're already well over three quarters of an hour into this podcast, I'm going to have to put it off again, Rafe. So uh, <laughs> if we can possibly leave that to next week. In the meantime, that gives you plenty of time to try Cortana on Windows 10 Mobile 1 over 10536, which hopefully is even better than ever. Yes, that's quite right, Steve. I guess I just have to say, oops, we didn't quite remember to get to that. Uh, it is the nature of this slightly informal podcast that we don't always stick to our plans rigidly. And what a boring place the world would be if we did that all the time. We try and keep things going. And of course, it is rather dependent on the amount of news and things that come out during any one week. But it is an important topic and I do want to get back to it. Uh, so we promise to cover it, if not next week, in a future edition of the show, because we may, may well have a bunch of new things to talk about. 
Uh, but that's yeah. probably a good place for me to sign off and I'll get Steve to do likewise in a, in a minute. He says it's going to be just over 10 days or so until we do the next podcast. But if you've got any questions you want us to answer or any feedback, you can uh, contact us via email, rafe at allaboutwindowsphone.com, the usual Twitter and all those other channels. But uh, I'll just say goodbye and hand over to Steve for the sign off. Yeah, I guess we should uh, just trail the fact, there's no, no big surprise since the article's already published, that uh, in that big roundup, um, Cortana wins. Woo-hoo. But not by much. And that, of course, is the subject of debate as to the exact ordering and how far apart or how close together all the assistants are. But anyway, watch this space for that. I just one very, very quick app pick as, before I say goodbye. I wanted to pick for all those owners of older phones like Lumia 1020s and 920s and 925s who've been frustrated that all this Lumia moments and um, choose choose best moment, choose best picture, et cetera, et cetera, are passing them by. There's an application called Frame Grabber. It's in the Windows Phone store. It does exactly the same job. So you can shoot your 1080p video of your darling nieces and nephews and sons and daughters and whatever in some event and use Frame Grabber. It's a really fast, intuitive interface, and you can grab the best deals from videos. So highly recommended. And I think it might even be free or nearly free. So do go and look at the article in my mini review. In the meantime, I shall say goodbye as well. We'll catch you all next time on the Insight Podcast.